and welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb Porzio. I'm your host, Dan Coburn. Today's episode is brought to you by Spray Paint Caps. Yes, Side Bust Inc. Very cool spray paint caps. Thank you for sponsoring Side Bust Inc. Mm, what's good? So, Daniel. Caleb, we have so many topics and so little We have time. a lot of things to talk about. Oh, my God. Kick us off. Oh, my God. Um, okay, so technology, technology. This is a technical episode. For those of you who like deep. our non-technical, deep... Uh, philosophical or uh stories from our childhood episodes this won't be one of those um we at work are implementing a bunch of new security checks and stuff um for like passwords and password resets uh just seems like the responsible thing to do um and so we are doing a bunch of stuff and i want to talk about it because it's pretty cool um and i'm right in the middle of it so like uh, if we come up with great ideas on this show, I can actually use them, right? Right. On. Um, I'm not telling you about something I've done. I'm telling you about something I'm doing. Um, okay, so a couple things. So have I been pwned? Everyone knows about it. It's a great website. You put in your email address. It tells you if your email address has been in any leaks or hacks or dumps or. I just reviewed mine, and there's there's a lot. So many, so many. There's a lot. Um. Yep. I showed it to Charlotte over the over the weekend. She was appalled. It's kind of nostalgic though, because you can look through and be like. I just saw yeah. Planet Calypso, which is the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> website for um uh oh dude, it's a really cool video game, whatever that I played for a hot minute, and, nice. uh, and I was just like, I forgot about that game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, well, there's stuff like um there's stuff like random V Bulletin forums that I used to be in and stuff, and I'm yeah. like, oh hell yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's a little um, trip down memory lane. Anyway, the um the good old fashioned um mm-hmm. have I been pwned is like you put in your email address, it gives you breaches. But they also have an API that has no rate limit and it's just an amazing public service where you can just send in a password string and it will say this password string has been used in X number of breaches. Um, And there's a really nice Laravel adapter for this thing, um, which I can't remember who made it, but Google it, it's the first one, um, that basically provides a validation rule um, where on the end of your little validation string, your little pipe separated list of validators, you just add like pwned colon pwned. and then a number. Um, and cool. you're basically saying like require that this password have been in this number or less of breaches. Dude, that's insane. It's so good. That's so cool. Yeah. So we're adding that to oh, our man. password resets and signups and all the places that a user can set a password. That's such a um, better system than like make sure it has two right. punctuation characters. It's just like just right. hit the thing. This is like get the this data. is the real world stuff. And this is what people are actually using, right? Like hackers aren't actually just like randomly brute forcing letter by letter. Like they're using word lists and the best word list around is dumps because those are like real actual passwords yeah um anyway um so there's that and then we're like okay we there's more stuff that we want to add right so like we also want to ensure that our staff when they change their passwords we're not going to require this for everyone right now but we could at any point um that when our staff change their passwords they're not allowed to change it to a password that they have already used um so yeah, yeah. no reused passwords. So this is an interesting one, mm, right? Because mm-hmm. you want to create a validator, but the validator has to have access to the user. Mm-hmm. Um, so that so we have these we have like this Laravel audit 
auditing package that basically creates audit logs of whenever models are updated. Um, yeah. And so we're able to basically like query those audit logs and get all of the old password hashes that these users have had in the past. Like every time the password hash changes, um, well, just assume that that's true because it's not actually true, but it will be going forward. Um, like we don't have all the historical data because we're intentionally excluding passwords for a while. Yeah. But anyway, right. long story short, we're now including passwords. Um, and so you'll, we'll get this like audit log stuff. Um, we'll have every hashed password this user has ever been, has ever gone through. Mm-hmm. And then we'll take their new plain text password that they passed into the password field. And then we'll just hash check it against all of those and then do a nice little reduce that gives you true and false. And then eventually tells you, is this password something that has ever been used before? Yeah. Um, but this is interesting because it's like, okay, when well, you need access to the user. So how do I get access to the user? Um, and some of our, f- some many of the fields, so like the sign up field will have username, right? Yep. Um, the change password field will have the email. Um, we have an admin, like change the password of another user field. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can't use auth user because it's sometimes it's the auth user, but sometimes it's an admin changing it for another yeah. user. Yeah. Um, and in that case, we'll have the user's ID. So it's like all of these forms have the some information about which user is being changed. Um, but it's like in different formats and stuff. Okay. Right. Um, because otherwise we could just go to the validator, get the data from the validator yeah. and say like, give me the user ID column and then just user find that user and then start pulling the audit logs from that. But because yeah. the column name is, or because the field name is different on all the different forms, we can't do that. So what we've ended up doing is, um, we're creating one that's basically like use, um, like reused colon and then it's like field name comma and then the f- the column name in the database cool. so it would be like user underscore id comma <clears throat> id yep and so then we're doing a nice little lookup that way but then the other thing that we're doing that, that like kind of overrides all of this is that we're wrapping these all of these validators up into a single validator that we're just calling security check Okay. that we're sticking onto all of these password fields. And so we've created a little module using our like modular mm-hmm. thing that we use to make modules. Um, and it's cool. So we're creating this little validator so it does validation. But then it, it also, another thing that security check does is like um, all sorts of checks on like if a staff member logs in, every time a staff member logs in, actually every time a user logs in, mm-hmm. we um, store their IP user agent and uh, some like geolocation data for like where they're logging in from. Mm-hmm. And so now what we're doing is basically every time they log in, we're checking um, checking that data against like a whitelist for that user. Yeah. Um, and so if they logged in, if they logged in from a location that's not on their whitelist, like say they like all of a sudden log in from Albania or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're then going to just email the email address on file and say, mm-hmm. sort of like Google does, yep. like a user just logged in from Albania, was this you? Yep. And if they say, was this you, we'll just flip a little flag on that like login attempt row that says trust or uh, trusted at. We have like a trusted at timestamp. Okay. Um, and then we're also going to have set like a little like trust in uh, like trust for days 
Mm. Um, so basically, like you can say, like yes, trust this computer for, and it'll be like a week, a month, a year, uh-huh. indefinitely, yep. right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's just like some stuff we're doing to like catch like weird logins if they happen or something like that. This is all uh, this is big boy stuff, Daniel. It's so fun though. It's so interesting because it's like, man, it would be nice if like all this was packaged up. And like the n- nice thing about doing it in a module is like if we ever felt like packaging it up, it's so simple to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that we're just like publishing it as like one service provider that creates a validator and like does yeah, a couple yeah. other little things is really cool. That's pretty um, cool. And we're also doing some cool stuff with like um, session management and like logging out certain sessions and interesting, you know, all kinds of cool stuff like that. That would be a fantastic package. Yeah, it's really nice. It's it's basically just like, you know, like upgrade your security a little. Yeah. Make your security a little bit more pro. Yep. It's like if you're, I don't know, like I only use services that need mm-hmm. that stuff. I never build them. Right. You know, I've never had to build a service that like really needs all that bulletproof stuff. You're just well, using the, like LinkedIn or something. And the thing that you learn, right, is that like y- y- you... <clears throat> you never think your service needs it, right? Yeah. But then eventually, like, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, we have 26,000 members. Like, we should probably, like, pay attention (laughs) to this stuff, you know? Um, So, yeah, I bet there are a bunch of people who go through that process of, like, realizing, man, we should probably be a little bit more intentional with our security now that we're big. If only there was a couple easy ways to do that that didn't involve building all this stuff ourselves. Right. Yeah. I have a security question for you. Dude, do it. Um, so I did this uh, serverless Laravel thing. Uh, I don't know if you caught my oh, tweet. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very so, cool. So we've talked about this on the show, I think, because I, when I was working on Livewire Fiddle, the like Livewire Playground forever ago, mm-hmm. I oh, used... Oh, yeah, we did talk about security with that. We did, yes. And that used Versal, so it, it was right. like all serverless and everything. Um, so anyway, I needed to build a GitHub bot. And so I just like, I built it like locally first and just valet yep. shared to let the webhook sure. hit it, um, which took all of like five is, minutes. It's can so we just talk about how easy. bad that is? What? I just hate having to like go back into the app and then change all the NGROC URLs back to real oh, URLs. Sure. There should be like a way to like, yeah, it's to not... swap a URL like in and out of dev mode or something. Yeah. No, I, oh, I agree with that. Like anybody who offers a webhook or something, you're right. You should be able to put in. Well, the problem is ngrok URLs change. Not if you pay for ngrok. Not dog. if you pay for ngrok or use expose or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay, yeah, but that that would be a nice feature of any any service that uses webhooks or callback URLs. You mm-hmm. know, for OAuth. Yeah, it's like, just give me like a dev toggle. You should have a toggle. Yeah, it should be a dev toggle, dude. Instead, you you always create that like. You know, that create new OAuth app test, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, that is annoying. This isn't so bad because, like, webhooks are just such an easy concept, like yeah. such a fun, isolated concept that it's, like, just one field. It's the URL. It's not, mm-hmm. there's no funny business. So, yeah. anyway. Um, <clears throat> but I'm with you. So, webhook, right. So, I'm building this thing in Laravel, testing it out. And I'm like, all right, well, I want to, I got to put this thing in somewhere. And I thought, uh, maybe Forge. And I messed around with that for a minute. I didn't want to like create a new server for it. Right. So, I tried like, yeah. So, I tried throwing it on my, one of my servers, which is funny. I have a ton of servers just laying around, like old burn servers that I still pay $5 a month for. But I, I didn't want to put it on one because then I thought I'd be like locked into it. It's so funny. 
But so I'm like, oh, I'll put it on the Livewire server. Um, but anyway, wildcard, subdomain, DNS, Cloudflare annoyingness. And I was like, how about just Versal? Like, how long would it take me to get this thing set up on Versal? Yeah. And, you know, I had to roll up my sleeves and like refigure out what the current best way is. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, dude. Oh my but you gosh. built it in like a couple hours. Like we talked oh, on yeah. Telegram and then it was up the later that day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It took no time. And. And now, like, with the blog post I wrote, like, you could do it in five minutes. You could take yeah. any Laravel app and get it running on Versal for free in five minutes. You wouldn't have a database, which is a segue into my question. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, by the way, on that Versal note, if Versal gave you, like, two extra little config items, you could do everything in one Versal JSON file. And literally, like, I could just have a GitHub gist that I just copy and paste Versal.json and ship anything I want. Wow. Wouldn't that be great? Because literally, did you read the post? Did you see it? Not yet, no. Can I give you the two-second version of it? Please. You add a versal.json file to your project, Mm -hmm. which just says, like, this is... You need to point it to a entry point in your app and Mm -hmm. tell it that it's PHP. Mm -hmm. So that's super easy. You do that. and But the problem is the entry point has to be in the API directory for whatever reason, because that's how versal works. They don't let you change that. So I can't just say like entry point is public slash index.php. You have to create an API slash index.php that literally has two lines. You open PHP and then you require public slash index.php. So it's literally just a forwarder. So that's the mm-hmm. second file. Mm-hmm. And then you can add all your ENV variables into your Versal JSON file. Um, and that's really all it is. And then there's a Versal ignore to ignore your vendor directory. Nice. And you literally type Versal in the command line. And it just like ships it and gives you a URL to go visit it. It's Dope. stupid simple. Dope. So I was just playing with it today because I had already like done it and it works and it's perfect for me. But I wanted to write up the post. And so I was like, well, what would it take to get a database set up? Because this really is restricting like most apps. I need at least like a SQLite database. You know, I need something. Sure. And uh, so what did I do, D. Cole? Oh, so I just went to AWS and spun up an RDS instance. And I don't do this. Like, I'm not, I'm showing off like I know how to do this. I just like went to my console, went to RDS, and it was actually really easy. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. S3 is like represents AWS. S3 is like the worst. And I am roles and whatever. But like, I just figure every service on AWS is as sucky as S3 to configure. Many of them are. And many of them are. But this was not. EC2 is not good. I was, right. Yes, yes, yes. This one, I wasn't like prompted with like, oh, here, this isn't going to work unless you fill out this blank giant text field with XML or some <laughs> stupid YAML whatever thing. Right. Dude, and like, that's oh, the there's no wizard. Worst. Yeah. It's like, like go Google, go Google oh websites gosh. you completely don't trust for boilerplate security settings. Yeah. Right. Like, that's a great thing. Thanks a lot, Amazon. <laughs> Oh, that yeah, is I'm, so I'm going to go to like myawesomewebsite.com and just verbatim copy and paste their XML security settings and hope that I don't get screwed by that. 100%. And that's what everybody does. Oh, my God. Isn't that ridiculous? Dude, I should just make that's a, a website and like get do, do great SEO on it um, and just make just it have like, like really security. malicious yeah. security <laughs> rules and just people will copy and paste them into their S3 configs. Yep. So I bet, um, I bet Ukraine or someone is already doing that. Oh, everybody's doing it. Yeah. I got one. Yeah. Um, so Daniel. Yeah. Right. So S3 is garbage. RDS is cake. Literally just like new instance. How big do you want it to be? Done. Big. You want it on a VPS or VPC? You want it 
on an yeah. IAM role or you want it just floating out in space with an IP address and you're done. Yeah. And there's a free tier. So I threw one up on the free tier. Here's the question, Daniel. You can create I'm, I'm an so RDS ready. that's publicly available. You can create a MySQL database through AWS on the free tier that's publicly yes. available and you can hit the URL. And if you know, I literally opened table plus, mm-hmm. put it in the URL, the port. So you don't want to do that. The username and password. Right. So with Versal, you have no other option because it's not a predictable IP. So you can't, one, you, it's not in the VPC. You can't, you're not using Lambda, you know, it's not in like uh-huh. AWS's like little home. Uh-huh. And you can't IP whitelist because it's uh-huh. a rotating IP. It's it's serverless. It's dynamic. Sure. So you're basically left to just have a super complex password. Um, so you can't do SSH tunneling for RDS databases? Oh, I don't know. I Maybe. think you can. I think our our database at work is SSH tunnel and on RDS. I didn't set it up, so I don't know how okay. that works. But all right, so SSH tunneling is the key, and that's okay. So you can that you is can okay. have an, an why it's is that be, or okay? It's way more secure be, because here's the deal, right? So say I am um, say I am able to somehow dump your ENV through like a SQL injection vulnerability. Yeah. Right. Or through yeah. like some random arbitrary code execution vulnerability. If I'm able to like sure. dump your ENV onto a page, right? Yep. So I go to your website, create a bad URL, and now the content of the page is your ENV file. Yeah. So I have the database username and password. Yes. For uh, and the host name and everything. Right. Right. Yep. If I then go and uh just open tables plus now i can just access the whole database and do things and do bad things totally. and stuff right yep. whereas if they're if you're ssh tunneling i need to be able to ssh into a server that's allowed to do that before i can do that ah uh, so so i would need to actually have like a shell on your web server to access that database instead of just being because able to of ssh keys right so that's the question i guess does a serverless versal uh, you know, instance have SSH the keys. capability to have, and SSH I don't think keys. it does. It must. So, so what you what you can do, and like Amazon also provides things for this. Amazon has like uh, secret storage. Um. So like, rather than having a .env file that's in your file system, right? So that someone can just access your file system. Um. You use some. API to access your secret store on Amazon. And so then you would just store all of your ENV variables in this secret store. Um, Interesting. And so one of the things that people do that do with that, I believe I've never done this um, is use the secret store to store keys. Um, And so if you needed to have SSH keys that were permanent, not in your GitHub repo, and accessible to your ephemeral serverless thing, like you would presumably be able to download them from the from the secret store Interesting. or something. So like Versal has encrypted environment variables. Like there's a normal like version mm-hmm. controlled ENV file type thing, but then like in the admin panel, you can add ENV variables, keys and values. Okay, yeah. So it has its own encrypted. secret storage then. Yeah. Um and then so they're just could, available in the runtime. So you could just store your SSH key in there. 
Oh, okay. So that's how, I guess I don't know how things work. I just figure like to SSH, you have to have that like, you know, dot SSH in your root directory with like pub ID RSA and stuff. So like I that, don't, you know? I don't know either. Right. Like, I don't know what that SSH. So because the way that the connections work for us is because like our servers are on AWS and our thing is on AWS. Right. So it's easy. You, you're already inside the same network. And so you don't need to SSH into it. Yep. Right. But from to access it from outside of that network, you you do, right? Yeah. Um. So I don't, I'm not sure. Um. But I would imagine there is a way to solve this using something along those lines. Hmm. Um. And just having your uh having your server like connect to it through like SSH tunneling. You'll have to look into the SSHing from a serverless server. Um. There is like a bit in the docs on Versal that's basically like. Oh, you want to, which is, this is ridiculous, by the way, Versal. Versal is amazing. I love Versal. I'm not, you know, whatever. They say, like, if you want, this is their thing. It's like, if you want to use a database like RDS or something, you, unfortunately, because, you know, IPs are dynamic or whatever, unfortunately, you have to just store a password. And then they're like, pro tip, like, make a complex and rotate it every so often. You know, right. <laughs> like oh, that's, that pro that's the answer. Like I would think they're smart yeah. enough that if SSHing they, was a possibility, they'd be like, oh, this is how you do it, you know? Yeah, yeah, But like, what are the options, you know? That seems kind of right. crazy to me. Right, right, right. And, but then I'm like, well, hold on a minute. All right, so is a password secure enough? And like, let's say you make the most gnarly password and you rotate it every two months or something. Sure. I don't know. Um, so, does that do it? Because so if you here, think about here's it, the, here's in addition to right. So if you think about it like this, right? If you're um, if you're storing your SSH key in the same place that you're storing your password, yep. Then that it doesn't provide more security. Yep. Right. Because if they could get your password, they could also get your SSH key. Well, not necessarily because they because can. If get... you're storing them both in the encrypted ENV variables of Versal, for example, right. Right, right, right. Yes, yes. So if they had access if to somebody the encrypted did a PHP ENV info, yeah. Right. However, they got there. Right. If they got access to those ENV variables, they would have access to both. Right. Yeah. So the the only added security in that context is that you are protected from um, vulnerabilities in MySQL. Right. So should a MySQL vulnerability come along? Um, you're protected from those vulnerabilities because they're not directly accessing MySQL. Um, and second, you are um, protected from like straight brute forcing, right? Like you have an opportunity to like build in some protections yeah. against like somebody just like hammering your IP address with so usernames and passwords. With a complex enough, because I can make this password insane. Like, sure. it's reasonable to say that I don't have to worry about brute forcing, right? Well, this is the thing, right? Is like most of these sorts of vulnerabilities that are going to get exposed, like this happens with Wi-Fi networks and stuff all the time, right? Like you don't have to worry about brute forcing on a Wi-Fi network if you have a complex password, except that often the types of vulnerabilities that get exposed are not like you press a button and you get the password, right? It's much more often like it turns out that like we've cut the amount of work necessary to brute force by like 10,000 times. Right. Right. And so it's, you still have to brute force, but like you have to try less combinations because we found that there's hash collisions or we found that there's, yeah. uh-huh. you know, whatever. 
But um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, I'm really curious to hear, like, from, like, to me, it seems like if I'm evaluating all the potential, like, pros and cons of this approach, one of the cons is not necessarily brute forcing. Although, like, it does leave you open to brute forcing where it, w- where it didn't before. Although, I bet Amazon has some rate limiting stuff that they could do for, like, oh, failed sure, access yeah. attempts and IP right, addresses right. and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, I guess, like, honestly, the biggest worry of mine... There's two big worries. The one worry is like it just feels so open and you out there. You just feel naked having your Yeah, it's so naked. Your server just like touching the internet like that. Yes, exactly. That's the first one. And then the second one is that if somebody that it's so easy to access ENV variables. I guess I shouldn't say it's so easy, but it's easier than like an SSH key stored on a file system that you have to get access to a server. Where like if it's just an ENV variable, if you accidentally put app debug true on for a little bit to debug yeah. something and somebody hits <laughs> right. it and they're like, oh, well, here's all the info I need. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the thing is like requiring them to be in network in some way is like right. feels better. Yes, it does feel better. Um, so and then I was thinking like, well, my forge password isn't like, you know, 50 characters long and uh psh- you could just get into any of my, you could get into my Forge account probably way easier than any of this crazy server stuff I got going on. Yeah. And bam, do whatever the hell you want. Right? Ooh, yeah. Why are people not attacking people Forge? People should attack all the time? Forge. Forge, I bet. Talk to Taylor. I want to know what is what attacks they have thwarted against Forge. Yeah. I bet there have been many. Dude, I bet we could pick like, I bet we could get into somebody's Forge account in a day. Oh, yeah, for sure. But so Forge probably has um, rate limiting on failed login attempts. Right. Um, so how do you get around that? Uh, well, I think the way to get into someone's Forge account in a day would not be that way. Right. So the the way to do it would be to start looking for vulnerabilities in the Forge web app. Okay. Um, that would enable you to get a PHP file onto the server. Right. So like. Oh, you want to like straight up hack Forge? <laughs> that would it, I feel like it would be easier than brute forcing a password. Yeah, interesting. Um, okay. So the goal is to basically, if we wanted to hack Forge, hi Taylor, love you, bud. Um, <laughs> if we wanted to hack Forge, the goal would be to just like get a PHP file onto the server. Um, yeah. Yep. And so there's lots of ways to do that. Um, a common one is to find some hole in like some file upload section. Right. So where I would upload my avatar or something. Yep. Go right for um, the file uploads. <laughs> if you can't do that, there's also places where like, you know, you can like if Sometimes there are file include vulnerabilities. Um, so mm-hmm. anytime there's like a PHP include. Yep. Um, if the. Um, if the contents of that php include are at all from a variable and you can influence that variable by input onto the page right um you can start adding things like dot dot slash 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 to get back to the root and then you can like include things from the internet or you can include things from uh directories in the system that you're not supposed to be able to access but uh so help me with this how would you so, like, you're saying... So, Laravel makes this harder, by the way. You know, this is... Sure. I'm explaining this in the, like, vanilla PHP version. Yeah, of this. yeah, So, you yeah, would yeah. still need to find a way to, like, make sure... You'd have to find a place where someone hadn't sanitized certain input or hadn't, you know. So, let's say that... 
Um, okay, so you have like... Let me think about this. Here, so imagine this, right? So imagine, imagine I... Um, there's a page where I want to force a user to download a file that would otherwise like open in the browser, mm-hmm. right? So there's mm-hmm. like an image file. It would normally just go to the URL of the image file, but I actually want to force a file download, right? Yeah. So a common way to handle that is to create like a download.php um, file that basically forces a download, right? Okay. And so often the way that those will look is like you'll go to like download.php question mark file equals uh, image.jpg, right? Mm, yeah, yep. And so the way that that will end up working is it will actually get like the base 64 version of that file and download it to your browser. Mm-hmm. And so there will be a PHP include for like dollar sign get image. Yep. Right? And so that way, if instead you go to download.php slash yeah, or yeah. download.php file equals dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash etsy slash password, right? Uh, you can just like dump the user file of the Linux server. Yep. Um, so it's stuff like that, right? So it's places where like user input or URL parameters end up being used as includes somewhere. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I bet it'd be tough to hack into Forge. I bet it would, but you know, you never know. So I guess the easier thing to do... There's a bunch of smart people working on it, though. (laughs) They probably check the stuff. Because if you use all of Laravel's stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you're only Mm -hmm. echoing, you know, escape And so the reason I think Forge is more interesting of a target than like a regular Laravel web app Mm -hmm. is that like, I bet they had to do a bunch of non-normal CRUD stuff in Forge, right? Which means that they were probably had to write some custom code that the chances of them having accidentally evaded some sanitizer somewhere are higher. Yeah. Yeah. If they had to like monkey patch something or whatever, sure. they might have lost some of the nice security that Laravel provides by default. Yep. 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 So I would think the easier t- thing to do, well, what's the easy thing to do? You know what I don't the know. easiest here's what's what the it? easiest thing to do is you, oh shoot, Caleb, you know how you hack Forge? Oh my God, Caleb! Here's how you hack Forge. Give it to me. One of our one of our open source projects must be a dependency for the Forge web app, right? Oh, interesting. We just get malicious code into. We just publish malicious code to one of our open source projects, and then Forge will just install it on the server for us. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, dude. Interesting. That is the easiest way. And then we just pop a shell and then we're in. So let's see here. Okay, dude, this is crazy. Cause like, I know this, mm-hmm. but it's good to be reminded. So six, uh, I just checked Livewire has like 600 something thousand installs now. Yeah. So if How I How many just, dependencies does Livewire have? Few. It has, oh, I mean, well, a lot. What do you mean? I mean, it has like Laravel. I mean, like- yeah, yeah, but it's like it's. Oh, funny you're saying because like, like oh, Livewire itself. Like, like one of your dependencies got hacked. Yep, that so, could hack tons and tons of websites. Livewire's dependencies are Symfony's HTTP kernel, uh-huh. PHP itself, and Morph Illumin. Dom. Nope, 
Well, hold on. PHP side. That's in the JavaScript uh, side. Illuminate, yeah. support, database, and validation. So there's mm-hmm. essentially four dependencies if we don't count PHP. Yeah. And if you think of those, basically it's just Symfony and Laravel, which is all mm-hmm. the, these are all Laravel dependencies. So if yep. Livewire is hacked, Laravel is hacked. Yep. Um, so interesting, 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 deek medeek. Um, but yeah, that yeah. would be the way to do it, right? Yeah. Dude, you could, you could freaking add any code and you could just push it. Including like a reverse PHP shell that gives you shell access. If, if they have like <laughs> bad, bad, bad PHP configuration. Right. Wow. I, oh, dude. So, like, let's say I want to take down somebody, some site who uses Livewire. Right. So, I know the site, mm-hmm. and I put, um, I put malicious code, bury it deep down inside so, of Livewire. So, like, here's, here's a thing that you could do, right? So, like, on, like, requests, the, so, like, the Livewire, like, request thing, right? Mm-hmm. The, like, you, you're, you have an endpoint that, like, the JavaScript requests hit, right? Mm-hmm. So you would basically use that endpoint. You would create like a hidden like uh, URL query parameter that someone could add to that URL because that's mm-hmm. a that's a URL you know is exposed, right? Yeah. Yep. And so that basically you would write like a little if statement that says like if you know hacks equals true, um, then instead of doing the thing that we normally do, just return this other random PHP file that is like a interpreter reverse shell or yeah. like a yeah. Totally. Too easy. So I do this thing and I hide it in a pull request for something big. No right. one no one's gonna find it. No one's gonna see it. And it's obfuscated and it's all yep. yeah. And so I do that, I push it, and I tag a minor release. You know the way to oh. do it actually is rather than rather than putting it in your code yourself, would be to add a dependency that has this code. Because no one's even, no one's even, if no you just added the one dependency. composer dependency in a pull request, no one would right. look. Yep. No one would look. Interesting. And you do it from another, from another, um, GitHub account. So it's not like traceable back right, to you. Right, 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 And in the first version, it's not, a, not even a malicious dependency. So in case anyone does look even later, you have plausible mm. deniability to say that wasn't me. Sorry, some they must have gotten hacked or become malicious. That's my bad. I shouldn't have trusted them, but it's not like I'm the bad guy here. You're right. Dude, that's perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I create the the uh whatever, the burner account and uh-huh. uh and create the repo that yeah, I include. It's like a string utilities repo yeah, or something. Yeah, it's super like um benign. Yes, and it's like obscure looking, but still like harmless and understandable yeah. and whatever. I have a README and it's all like this stuff. It's like a regex repo or something, yeah. Yeah, and maybe I like seed it with activity from other fake accounts, you know. Mm-hmm. Or like, you, or it's like a fork of another already existing good repo. Interesting, because then it has all the history and everything. Yeah, and so like then you it make like it look looks... like you just had to change one thing about the way that uh this thing worked and so you're maintaining your own fork as a dependency yep 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 that's it dude that's it or okay this it'd probably be better to explicitly fork it and have like a totally unique name Uh but you could like fork symphony http kernel with like symphony with an i or something Mm -hmm. http kernel so that's really kind of like similar but then that would actually be suspicious if somebody saw a diff yeah it was like that they'd be like oh wait a second so okay, so it just is changed to like oh dude, it should be called like Symphony 
um symphony user group or something or yeah right like something that anyway seems like you just added another symphony dependency yes oh interesting fork and existing like fork symphony http call it something else no call it like symphony http slash root so you make a new user called symphony http because you know how like uh, Babel like moved oh, all of their yes, loaders yes. out into separate repositories. <laughs> into, like, you make it look like something the... like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, that's what's up. <laughs> the that's what's up. Hold on. No, that's it for sure. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> you just, like and you have to come up with the right names and stuff, but like you could make it look benign. Hell yeah. Um. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. So we do that. We get the bit of code in there. It's like and at now... Symphony modules or something. Yep. Totally. Yep. It's dude, that's brilliant. That's totally it. Uh huh. So then we put this thing out here, and it's um, it's a totally benign fork for a while. Right. So okay. So I just update LiveWire's composer dot lock so that it has the new malicious version. And do I even tag a patch release? Can I like delete and re-tag an existing release so that I can attack anybody who's like who's explicitly depending on... Yeah, yeah, you could do that. Of course, you're Caleb. So I do that. And then and then, how do I get the target app? So this is the part, like, eventually they'll install it. Right. But how you do I get them? How do I force them? That's... How do we get them... What What can we do to force them you to do that? Well, you think just wait. about it. You just wait. You just do it around the time that Laravel's updating or something. Okay, you yeah. Just wait until they're going to update anyway. Oh, no, this is what you do. You say, ah, uh, you say that LiveWire. There's been a vulnerable, a, a vulnerability oh, has been fixed yes. in LiveWire. So there's yeah. an important actually, patch release. You actually fix a, you introduce and then fix a not that dangerous vulnerability in LiveWire. Yep, and then you publicize it to force uh-huh. people to update. Actually, getting in your new vulnerability, and now yep. you yep. own the internet. Uh huh. And nobody can point it back to you. Yep. Well, they can, but you you know that. Well, the, they can because we talked about it on your podcast. Ah, oh, shoot, dude! <laughs> no, we're gonna edit this out. We're gonna edit this out. <laughs> Listener, dude, if you're hearing this, we forgot to edit you it know, out. You know, you so don't is, say anything. You know who could definitely do this? Who? This would be some somebody better not get to Barry VDH of Laravel debug bar fame, or we're all screwed. Why? Because so many people have that installed, but disabled if app dev is true right or app dev isn't true but it's still installed on the server right and it's up to him to disable it if app dev is oh right yeah so he could just so he could just throw yeah. away but he's that. got code in your repo and yeah, it's probably sure. in production if you didn't set it as like a dev dependency right because like lots of people probably just have it as regular old dependencies maybe you know because it's yeah. like guzzle or something like that there's a lot more scrutiny on that for sure. You know, something yep. that's like a really big, serious package. Yeah, debug something bar like is Laravel a great example. debug bar is like every Laravel app, you know? Yeah. Everyone's using debug bar. Dude. Interesting. So how do we, so hold on. Like, let's, let's say that you don't Barry own VDH. LiveWare. Let, no, let's like, let's extort Barry VDH. <laughs> that's that's like, the there's got to like be we, a quicker way though a, like everyone has a price right what's barry vdh's price is all i'm saying so what we have to do is go through the composer.json of laravel framework and find mm-hmm. the weakest link yeah so exactly. there's ramsey's uuid that could be a weak link <sighs> oh yeah 
Nesbot Carbon. Um, Egulus yeah. Email Validator. This one feels like like I could just call him up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, like, so you, you go through that list want, and then you see which of those people which of the maintainers is from romania right <laughs> and then yeah then you're good so yeah interesting so here's yep egulias egulias this is one that this email validator okay i feel like we could do something there opus closure um i'm looking for the what most. is that what is opus closure yeah opus slash closure um swift mailer no oh here's a good one css to inline styles tigis verkoyan oh yeah who's tigis verkoyan nobody you know what would be another amazing attack target orchestra test bench you think so yeah because orchestra test bench oh no but it's a dev dependency i was gonna say like orchestra test bench is a dependency of all the spotsy packages oh sure yep so if you could get orchestra test bench, right, hack, right, right. You I could forget get all the that it, it can go as deep as you want. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. So this all we got to do so dangerous is track like every dependency of Laravel. Every well, and this like, is what the whole dependency. like GitHub like we found vulnerable dependencies notification is is like right, GitHub right. is doing this for us. Thank God. So I found our target, Daniel. Yes. Our target is Voku's portable ASCII package it's a required dependency of laravel framework and it has 162 stars everything else has over 5,000 stars dude there's only eight contributors unfortunately graham campbell is one so you're gonna have oh, to kind of he's sneak gonna be around. paying attention for yeah sure. he'll be looking so this is a tough one you're gonna have well, but to... does it have any dependencies perfect perfect question so the tough thing about this one is it's probably like probably not it yeah. doesn't because it's just a utility but so maybe this one's you know what this isn't great because because graham campbell's a, one of the eight contributors and there's such a small surface area of code yeah. like it's yeah. like four files but ascii is one of those things where like there's a bunch of escaped characters yeah you just expect you know, weird like stuff. you just stick some more escaped characters in there no one's gonna know dude there's all these like commented out debug like ver dumps in here are there really yeah straight That's up so they're sketchy. just commented out and there's a ton of ver dumps everywhere like literally all over this entire thing <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, we could do this. And there's got to be a way to like escape a comment. Like write something in PHP that looks like it's a comment, but it's not. It actually mm. runs. If we can just get it to look like a comment on GitHub. Yeah. Especially in like some sketchy little repo like this. Oh, dude. Yeah, there's so much complicated stuff in here. Like ask dude, you we to didn't trans- even get to my stringable class names thing. We don't have time for it now, but it was so cool. Oh, dude. I'm pumped about this. This is really fun. Okay, I'll be done in a second because I know this isn't fun for anybody listening. What are you talking about? It's so fun. There's so many variables named weird stuff. Like literally ORD capital C zero is one. And then ORD capital C one is another variable. Who are you? ORD ORD capital C two. We just, dude, this is our target. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. You know what? It's probably already been hacked, honestly. (laughs) Let's loop the users in instead of you know, cutting this part of the episode out. Mm-hmm. So, listener. Wait, Caleb, can you find an email address for the developer? Absolutely. Stick that shit in Have I Been Pwned. Oh, dude. All we need is that guy's email address, and then we his... just take over his GitHub. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, Lars Mullican has his email address. Oh, no. Has 
No, I bet I bet I could find. Oh yeah, no, his email. I got it. I got it. Yep. Okay. Have I been pwned? <laughs> Check if your email's been pwned. Paste it in, and uh, oh yeah, we got pwned here. Six breaches, and dude, this is actually great because his email address is a custom domain. It's his last name, which so, means that his website is probably vulnerable, right? Like he. There's I don't know. I just, I just feel like these are like explicit vulnerabilities. But you know, the dude has less than me. He's got like less than a half mm-hmm. than I do. But um, but yeah. So we got uh, Apollo. Oh, I probably shouldn't. Apollo. Everyone's out. an Apollo. Yeah. I mean, I have all these too. So uh, this poor guy we're talking about about the podcast is email address. Yeah. <laughs> oh but, man, uh, we, we but, apologize for the actions of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Tobias or whatever your name is. <sighs> oh, dude. I mean, I feel like we could get him. Yeah, we just got to find the like most the least active maintainer. And how do you hack a GitHub account? You know, that's what yeah. you do. Yeah. You, you track every distant dependency. Oh, maybe this is what you do. Maybe you track every distant dependency. This might not work, but you find one that's like kind of not... um maintained and then yeah. you email that person and you say i'm building a package with your name uh-huh. and i'm building a company or something and i can i pay you to buy your account you know like i did for livewire right and they sell it to you for something like whatever a thousand dollars or something mm-hmm. and uh and then you take it over they probably deleted their repository but you just create a new one and do it on packages hoping they're lazy and people don't update their yeah, so maybe that would work. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. No, if you do it fast enough, people won't if you update do it fast their Composer enough, yeah. JSONs. Uh, we'll have to figure it out. We'll keep rolling this around. If anybody has any ideas, you know, let us know. Because we're looking to act on this pretty soon. Yeah, we're, we're looking to take down Forge, if at all possible. Well, dude, how do we monetize this attack? <laughs> oh, so easily. What do you mean? What's, what's the biggest reward here? Well, the biggest reward is you just you get paid off to not do anything about it. Oh, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so you do it, you get all the keys or whatever, you get all the data, and then you just like hold it. You do like a ransom thing. Like you Well, like, so I wouldn't down. even say the data, right? Like the real thing is like you get in there, right? And then you just go, Hey, we have the keys for a giant service disruption here. And you demo it by taking down one website, right? Okay. You take down a website and then you're like, listen, the end of your business is when we take down all of the websites on Forge, Taylor. Oh, so, this is still about Forge. I forgot. Right. Right. Well, but you can do it with any website, right? Right. You just go to a website and you say, hey, you have a bunch of business clients and a bunch of MRR. It'd be a real shame if that went away, huh? Extortion, yeah. extortion, extortion. You just pay us and then we don't have to do the bad things to your website that we could do. Yep. Dude, somebody needs to do this. Like, nobody should do this. Definitely don't do it this. It just seems so easy. Like, it's why so has... Well, there was the guy who got mad. Do you remember the guy who got mad of at being an open source maintainer? And then, like, created the malicious NPM oh, package? The, yeah, the... He what, had, like, a... What was that package it, name? It was, like, an array traversal package or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. And it was, just like, literally, like, 20 lines of code or whatever. And he just got mad at some other open source people and was like, all right, screw you. And he just created a... Uh, npm package update that like broke the whole internet yep so people do it yeah and i think that was when github started 
tracking dependency vulnerabilities and stuff right. like that. Yep. 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 All right. Well, I mean, it seems like we have a pretty solid plan here, Decoy. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, I feel pretty good about it. I want to be a bad guy. Wouldn't it be so fun to be a bad guy? So much more fun to be a bad guy. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, by the way, podcasts, you guys like, like podcasts. Listen to the Darknet Diaries podcast. It's so good. If you want like hacking stories and like if you want to get like live vicariously through other hackers, lots of interviews, lots of cool stories. Listen to here's a two episode two episodes you should listen to. Episode there's an episode called Not Petya, which is the story of a Russian hack of the Ukrainian power and commerce infrastructure. Um by a group called Sandworm, which is like a hacking group inside the Russian GRU intelligence agency. Um and then there is another story called uh, Olympic Destroyer, um, which is another hack by that same Russian group um, on the Olympics in South Korea in 20-whatever that was designed to look like an attack by North Korea. And it's like two incredibly interesting um, episodes. So go listen to those two episodes of The Darknet Diaries. If Daniel sends me those links before I upload the episode, I'll paste them in to the show notes. So maybe go to the show notes. Yeah, maybe. Or try, and then yeah. maybe you'll find them there. Give it a shot, right? Um, okay, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, man. yeah. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Um, what what else were we going to talk about? I mean, I got the um, GitHub issues thing, and the, we were, that could be a whole thing. But Yeah, and I wanted to talk about my stringable thing, but honestly, I don't think I have oh, time for sh- that. Okay. So, like, let's just roll and we can talk about Dude, these things later. Dude, I get later. activated when I hear stringable. Like, it just makes me just happy. Yeah. Like, I yeah, just yeah, want to yeah. know. I want to okay, talk so about the it, whatever ba- the it is. The basic thing is, like, we, we're doing code generation, right? Um, so, we're creating sort of like the resourceful controller stuff, right? It's kind of Alexa build me an app stuff, yeah. right? So, it's like we generate uh, the routes, the controller, the form request the policy all the modules. boilerplate things uh for a module so you could just be like like alexa module alexa make me a module yeah. and it and it creates the views the way that we want to create them and it creates forms and it creates uh a data table that we use commonly on a lot of our pages for the index mm-hmm. you know so it just kind of it's like boilerplates up a, like a new like for crud sure. resource yeah right Yep. Um, and so here's the things that we know. We know the namespace that this thing lives in. We okay. know the name of the mod of the resource. So in this case, like exam, right? Okay. Um, and uh, we know whatever those are. Oh, and we know like what module this goes in, right? Okay. Um, and so then it's like we need to create all these templates, and all these templates have strings in them, like uh, the controller class name. The controller fully qualified class name. The controller class name, but just the namespace for the use statement at the top. So you put the placeholders and string replace, but you have some answer to this. So we built like this really cool little class called stringable class name. Okay. um, That basically given a resource. um, Or sorry, so we have these like resources, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And given that resource, you you can say like resource arrow model. And it will give you, it will return a stringable class name. And stringable okay. class name is an object that extends stringable. Um, so it has all of the default like stringable stuff on it. Okay. 
um like all the string of like plural yeah, and yeah. stud and slug and stuff yeah. um but also has like um the class get whatever is it, whatever it is like uh get get class name there's like a laravel helper for like getting the class name class get name get underscore something. class I don't know. Laravel has a helper that basically you, it converts the FQCN, it replaces mm. the forward slashes with backslashes, and then it uses like a PHP path tool to like to like rip open the path and get you get you just the name of the file mm-hmm. or the okay. name of the actual class. Okay. Um, they don't provide the opposite, which is to get just the namespace. So I just like duplicated the thing and flipped it around, and so now I have one to get just the class name, just the namespace. You know. And yep. so then I added little methods. So one is FQCN, which returns the whole FQCN. One is class name, which returns just the class name. One is namespace, which returns just the namespace. Um, one is um, whatever it's called. Like I, at first I was just calling it uh, calling it alias, um, but uh, there's an actual name for it. It's like res. Uh, I forget it. SRO. Um, something resource object or whatever but it's the class name colon colon class that you use anytime you want to use the class name somewhere um so it's basically like a thing that uses all of those or that gives you access to all of those things so what's cool is like all throughout our templates we have these like little here doc statements that are returning blade Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and then in them we'll just say like use like resource arrow model arrow namespace right and then down in the thing we'll say like model is that making any sense to you you're looking really confused yeah i'm not trying okay so imagine like a controller right yep um in that controller met so say it's the user controller right you need to um use the user model in that controller Right, yeah. you have to say like user find one, right? Yes. So at the top of that file, you're going to have a use statement that yep. says to like use this user. Yep. Right, and then down in the actual methods, you're going to say like user colon colon find one. Yep. And then the name of the variable for the controller method is going to be dollar sign user. Yep. Right. So we know that this resource is called user. Mm-hmm. And we need to format it all those different ways to stick it into these gotcha. okay. generated code. Yeah. So one of the things we need is like a controller name for this resource. Yep. And another thing that we need is a controller name with a namespace for this resource. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so basically we built this nice little like thing called stringable uh, class name that basically all of our resources return like the controller name, the model name, and the policy name, the uh, form request name. Yep. You know, all this stuff. And then we have these nice little helper methods that let us do things with like just the namespace or just the class name. Yeah, or, yeah. Okay. Or um, whatever. And then we have like a thing to like make a variable and we have a thing right, to make. Right, right. And because it's stringable, we also have like plural and stuff like that. So like for the index, oh, sure. we have like user, dollar sign users. And then for oh, the yeah, show, fun, we have like dollar fun, sign user. Fun. You that's know? fun. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. we have like all this stuff that's like just really nice. It's That's just cool. like these like little stringable things where you can say like, just given the slug exam, yep. we have this, now we have this class that you can, you can just easily generate like uh, app slash controller slash exam controller. 
and you can easily yeah. generate like apps slash models slash what you know whatever colon colon class you Sweet. know so it's just like all of these little strings that otherwise you would have to do all this nasty like string interpolation in your in line in your templates yeah 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 yep I found, um, I dig that, by the way. I dig, like, you could just, like, arrow, variable name, arrow, plural, and get users. Um, right. I, uh, one of the, like, really hard problems in Livewire, this is hilarious, because it sounds like the easiest problem, but it's something that, like, I've just, like, someday I would love to solve, but there's no good way to turn a, there's no good way what is it? There's no good way to turn a namespace, an FQCN, mm-hmm. into the actual path of the file. Right, right. You have to, like, the only way is by, like, you might be able to scour, like, composers autoload.php right, right. and dig through and map it out and find the actual file, but, like, it's so... Good luck. It's such a difficult yeah, yeah, yeah. problem. No, and like the relationships <laughs> between files and like namespace is like really dirty and bad. You would think that there would just be like in reflection or something. You could just, yeah, yeah, yeah. there'd be some like PHP function that you could just get the but file. But like that PHP right. isn't supposed to work this way. Like Composer made it work this way. Yeah, yes. Yeah, That's I, the thing. Uh, I was like helping somebody understand stuff, like teaching them Laravel stuff. And I, I just was like, okay, I, we need to establish the line between Composer and PHP. Yeah. So I don't know. So I, I just like for fun, like create, you know, created like a brand new folder and just did pure PHP and then introduced Composer and whatnot. And um, anyway, it just like reacquainted me with really how, how, how Composer. How crazy autoloader is and how much of our life is based on the autoloader. Yeah. Like Composer has done everything. Like it's the whole juice. Yeah. It's crazy. It's just crazy to be reminded that like all of these contracts and whatnot are because we add autoload colon PSR4 colon app, mm-hmm. you know, it's crazy. It is crazy. Um, by the way, I need to go. But by the way, all of this functionality that I'm talking about of like taking a resource name and being able to generate like a, a controller namespace or views or any of that stuff. This yeah. absolutely should be core to Laravel, and I like am hoping to PR it because Laravel does this sort of really wacky bad string interpolation all through the app. Anytime it has to generate any of these, any of the like yeah. artisan make commands that like build these things up, oh dude, are just doing like this weird bespoke generation that's like sometimes different I mean, I, from place that would to be place. My dream. Have you seen Livewire stuff? It's it tries to be better. Like I have a yeah. dedicated class to do all this. Because I, I have all the artisan liveware make and yeah, move yeah. and all that. And uh, so I try to isolate it into one mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. And it's... But no, it should be. That would be fantastic. And like this all comes back to the origins of our original... My original opinion on our original podcast, 20% Time, was that Laravel, Laravel should have a native concept of resources. Um, yeah, this is like core to the podcast. And as soon as Laravel we figure this had, out, we're going to stop the podcast. If Laravel had a native concept of resources, then it would be so easy to say from this resource, generate me the default controller name, generate me the default model name, generate me all the default views for CRUD, generate me uh, where a policy should go for this, where a form request should go for this. And like wiring all those things up together would be so simple. 
So anyway, these are these are the these are the things that keep me up at night, Caleb. Don't you Is have that, a, a resourceful package? It was called Natural. It's I went and looked back at this because I was getting excited about it again when I was talking to Chris because he had never heard my argument about resources. He must have started listening to the show too late. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I like got him all fired up about it, and I was like, you know, I started building this, and I went and looked at it, and it's like really, really bad. The stuff I wrote. I was like really trying to like be cute with the API because I was obsessed with the idea of like natural colon colon resources, Mm. natural resources and like preserving natural resources and destroying natural resources. It was like, it was kind of cute, but like, it's actually pretty bad. And like, as a better programmer now, I probably wouldn't write it like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't actually get that far and everything was based on routes because I was just coming off of Ziggy. But mm-hmm. now I don't think I would use routes as the entry point to resources anymore. I would like define resources somewhere else and then derive the routes from that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think the approach of my natural package was pretty bad. I do have an ES6 resource client NPM package that is just, um, which is irrelevant if you use Livewire, but uh, basically is like if you if you were building like a reactor view app that had like resources that had you know like api routes for yeah um this would let you do things like resource colon create and the first argument is the resource name so like post yeah and then the second thing is just like a a javascript object and it would do all of the like finding the appropriate route on your server and submitting the post and blah, blah blah handling errors that come back from laravel and so it was basically just like a JavaScript client for yep. like r- resourceful CRUD APIs that Laravel provided. So that was like the eventual goal was to marry that with Ziggy with Natural to create some sort of a Hydra that would like own the resources <laughs> on the back end, own the resources on the front end, and yep. like make communication between them extremely easy. Yeah. But it just never got there because Ziggy satiated me. I built Ziggy and I was like, well, this makes it a little bit better. Yeah. Because the original pain was like, why do I have to know these URLs? This is not important, you know? But yep. anyway. All right. Uh, I got to go. All right. I'm going to hit pleasure, stop and the outro music's going to play. Bum-ba-dum. Bum-ba-dum.